you follow Freemasonry orders before you follow military orders, even though all the astronauts were military. And that's another interesting aspect of this, is the military is in full control of the um, NASA Apollo program at the time. And they were all military personnel that were involved in that, including the astronauts. NASA had to get those tapes back from the archives. They had to. They had to destroy them because what if, and this actually happened, what if some intrepid scientist or documentary movie producer comes along and says, I want the tapes so as I can access the data to make a really good documentary for you to promote the anniversary? Well, what can you imagine the shock of listening back to those tapes and finding out that there's nothing on them? Welcome back, everybody, to an all-new episode, a special episode of Low Value Mail. It's episode 94 on this February 6th, excuse me, 2024. Just had some um, Dr. Pepper Zero. I think Diet Dr. Pepper is better. Uh, but we got a special episode. It's it's not technically our two-year anniversary. It's kind of more like a chick birthday, to be honest. You know how they're like, it's kind of around. But we're not going to be doing a show on the actual... I looked it up. February 9th, 2022. We did the first ever episode. It's when I uh, got into the call-in game, as you will. Uh, so it's close enough. Three days from now, but there will be no show. On February 9th. So it's the two-year anniversary. I guess I could have done it next week. Uh, but I chose this week. Because I'm just, just so gosh darn excited. I'm so gosh darn excited. Because we have, uh, in my opinion, a great episode tonight. Great guest. Very pumped. Very pumped. We have joining us Randy Walsh, author of the book, The Apollo Moon Missions, Hiding a Hoax in Plain Sight. Uh, it's a very well-reviewed, very uh, high-selling book over on Amazon. He is an author, obviously, of this book. He's as well as a commercial pilot, certified flight instructor in the general aviation industry. He's also Canadian. We actually were chatting before this. We're from the towns right beside each other. We're a small world, huh? Uh, and we're going to be bringing him on very, very shortly. Uh, before we get started, as always, please like and subscribe. Hit that like button. Subscribe to the channel, the Low Value Mail channel. Uh, if you're listening to this over on... Spotify, Apple, whatever, just leave a review, whatever it is, even a rating, a rating, that's easy, right? You could just leave a rating, that, that'll help. Um, if you noticed, we've made some minor changes, if you didn't like them, tough beans, but uh, for now, going forward, just the way that YouTube recommends podcasts, and because obviously the goal is to grow this show into a... Uh, a call-in juggernaut, if you will. But anyways, the way that they do is they don't really recommend live streams very well on YouTube for whatever reason. So going forward, I did it last week. It worked out well, um, all things considering. So going forward, the live streams, shout out to Ins... I still don't... Incitus? I don't even know how to pronounce that. There's just a V where there's supposed to be a U. It's crazy. Um, anyways, going forward, as mentioned last week... Once the live streams are done, they're going to get taken down. They're going to be, uh, the episode is going to be uploaded as its own standalone video. If you are a supporter of the show, a patron, if you will, you'll get a little early access to it. It's nothing crazy. Some people are like, oh, you're in it for the money. I don't make any money on this, okay? Um, let, let's just be clear about that. 
I am definitely not doing this for the money. Um, but anyways, you'll have a little just as a bonus or something because for the people who support, you'll get like, you know, I think we'll, I'm going to release this is Tuesday now, Tuesday night, Thursday morning. It'll be out for everybody to watch, but you'll get early access to it. So that's kind of cool. Also, if you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash low value mail, you can buy one of these uh, nifty uh, channel memberships that you see so many people have in the thing because they're badasses. You can buy one of those and then uh, you get a wrench, which comes in handy down the line for the after show that we do once a month. Um, and then also you'll just uh, help me eventually get a producer and make the show longer. And then finally, tomorrow night, we have an all-new episode of The Bathhouse. The rootinest, tootinest, ultimatest comedy hang, live from the Stan Comedy Club, Green Room. We have Toby McMullen from the Are You Garbage podcast. And we have Brett Raybould, who co-hosts a show on SiriusXM with Lisa Ann. So maybe we're going to find out what was going on with all those shenanigans the other day. But maybe not. No promises. I'm rambling. But I'm done rambling. It is the two-year anniversary. And without uh, further ado, let us bring on Mr. Randy Walsh. One moment, please. Here we go. Ask to unmute. Hold on. One sec. Oh, got to do this. Randy, can you hear me? Hold on. So I can hear you. Oh, there we go. Here we go. Randy Walsh, how you doing? Welcome to Low Value Mail. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it very much. Um, we have a we have an exciting show, uh, and and I appreciate you coming on. So, for people who don't know you, this is uh, I've I've had a lot of requests. So this is, you might not know the show, it's a call-in show, and the phone lines will be open soon for people who have any questions for you. You've written three books um, titled The Apollo Moon Missions, Hiding a Hoax in Plain Sight. So clearly, and we've had a lot of people request um, someone come on to discuss this exact topic. So I think, I think you're uh, as qualified as anybody. So first off, tell people a little bit ab- about yourself before we, we get into things here. Sure. And uh, just a big hello to you, Danny. Thanks for uh, having me on. And uh, pleasure. It's just very interesting to find out you're my next door neighbor. Over I know, right? Right? I know. Yeah. Great what, little what town. Are Great little what, are town. The, what are the odds? Yeah. So um, I, I guess usually what people will ask me first is how I got involved in, in the Apollo moon missions or the Apollo moon mission hoax. And it actually, uh, it's a kind of an interesting story. It happened about maybe 25 years ago. Um, I had just came in late one night from work and turned on TV, A&E, just happened to be actually A&E back then was was sort of tolerable, not tolerable now, but it was tolerable then. They had a documentary on there um, about the Apollo missions and I wasn't really paying much attention to it. So what happened was just walking around, listening to it, sort of, you know, half listening to it. And then something caught my ear and I realized they were talking about Apollo 13. Now, for those of you out there that are not familiar with the Apollo missions, it's five decades ago. Apollo 13, um, according to official narrative, had an accident on the way to the moon. So it, it basically blew an oxygen tank and it disabled the service module engine part of the command module. So they were in, according to official version, they were in some very serious trouble, so dire straits. So I was, they were actually interviewing the three astronauts that were on that mission. 
And I remember uh, one of the astronauts, and I believe now it was uh, Commander Jim Lovell, who um, of that mission, they were talking about how they're going to swing around the moon and they were going to use the lunar module engine to get them back to Earth. They were using the moon as a gravity, sort of a slingshot yeah. to get them back to Earth. So, um, so what gravity assist. Now, something struck me when he said this, and it really got my attention. He said how he was talking to his uh, fellow astronaut, um, making it very clear that when whatever you do, keep when I fire the engines, whatever you do, keep the Earth within a grid pattern on the window. So I'm listening to this, and I'm thinking, hold, hold, hold on a second here. You're, you're 250,000 miles from Earth, and you're talking about navigating through visual means? Um, that was really a first red flag for me because... And, so you, and you're in aviation, like, are you... Yeah. You're in, right, okay. Yeah. So, so this is kind so of your at, wheelhouse. Yeah, so at that time, I was just um, embarking on a commercial career. So I already had a, a pretty good background in navigation. And, you know, one would think that on a mission to the moon and back that you would have some sophisticated computers. Now, they did have computer on board, and we could talk about that later. But basically, this computer was not up to the task of navigating. So they were using, and, and plus they had to shut the main computer down because they had all moved into the lunar module, which at that time was still attached to the command module. So they were using um, visual, visual references to navigate 250,000 miles back to Earth. Now, to put this into perspective, if um, you're like, let's say, 0.01 degree off course, you're in serious trouble. You could be thousands of miles off course at, by the from time that you reach like at, from a two hundred fifty thousand mile distance. Exactly, like exactly. that tiny fraction. Exactly, it could be huge. Exactly, in in, in what yeah. in the sense is that they have to because they would have had to take a specific path to get back. Exactly. So the way it works is is they were sort of technically in an elliptical orbit around the Earth, even though they were at the Moon. So it's basically an extended orbit from um from their track from the earth to the moon but what they were talking about is is because everything they were basically according again and i emphasize the official narrative because when i talk about this people say oh you believe in the moon missions no i'm talking within the framework of the official narrative and they were basically rewriting the rules and they were using visual cues to navigate now the argument back to me has been that well they had to navigate through the stars anyway. And that's another, that's another issue. And they're, they're sort of half correct in that. But they've been using unmanned missions for years, even back then in the 1960s, that navigated to moon and back with no problem. So I, I didn't understand at the time, well, why are you using visual cues? Well, again, one would argue, well, because their mainframe computer had broken down. They had to shut that down. See, they had to shut everything down the command module to save energy because they had to rely on the lunar module. Instead of landing on the moon, now it's still attached to the command module. And they had yeah. to use that to navigate back and to get them back. So um, using visual cues by keeping the um, Earth within the grid pattern on the lunar module window and when you say like a visual uh, visual cue, you're saying like let's aim for east yeah. coast of the United States kind of thing. Yeah, base, well, basically the whole Earth, keeping the whole Earth within a grid pattern. Gotcha. Now I need to qualify uh, something here. Um, that was actually depicted in.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ron Howard's movie, Apollo 13. And that's not exactly the way the official version has it. They were actually using um, a thing called the optics. So they were used, because of the way the, air, uh, the spacecraft was aligned at that time, um, when it was heading back to Earth, they had to use the uh, lunar module optics, which is what they would use if they were um, descending down to the moon. They'd use that for navigation. And it was through the optics, according to the official version, um, that they were using uh, to keep the Earth within a grid pattern on the optic part while Jim Lovell was firing the lunar module engine. Now, think about this for a second. You have to be very, very, very precise. I mean, you have to be precise just, precise just flying from, let's say, from here to Texas, you know, from Toronto to Texas. Um, can you imagine, um, with their limited fuel capacity at that time, they had limited fuel capacity to start out with, but now they have even less because they're using the lunar module, which is not designed to get them back to Earth. They're using the propellant on a lunar module to get them back. If they're off by as much as I mentioned earlier, 0.01 degrees, they're effectively off course by thousands of miles. They have no means of getting back on track because they would have by that time, it would have probably exhausted the, what propellant they had left. And they're effectively marooned um, in elliptical Earth orbit for eternity. Right. Okay. So you're, so you're essentially uh, not by. And so are there any parts of it that you do accept uh, of? Um, because there's obviously a lot of theories as to why this would have been faked. Right, this yeah. whole this whole thing. So, what what um, I, I guess how do, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean, okay. So for me, it was it was more of um, it was more of a process. I mean, it, I didn't just say, "Oh, the missions were fake." When I saw that, that was a red flag. But right. I never thought much of it after that. I, I remember thinking at the time that that doesn't seem right. You know, they spent. Um, equivalent in today's money, about $250 billion on this program. And they're using visual cues to get back to Earth in an emergency. Did they, did they not plan properly for this? Where did not, did not, they have the technology? Well, people who, proponents of the missions will tell you, yes, they did. They, they had a technology. But I, I would say after my years of research, which culminated in my two books, um, and a third one actually coming out, um, no. No, they didn't have the technology. I mean, absolutely not. Now, I want, I want to just mention that it, it took me several years later before I actually got into the details of these missions, all right? So Apollo 11 was basically the starting point because it was the first mission that supposedly landed on the moon, right? Yeah. But it was Apollo 13 that actually got my attention, and I went from there. And it wasn't until the mid-2000s that I started looking, because there was a lot of information coming out on the internet at that time, because it was becoming very popular. It was just becoming more uh, mainstream. And I started looking at some of the videos, and I, of course, looked at all the, the hoax videos, the videos, the conspiracy videos. But I said, no, 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 no. I, I, I got to really dive into this. So 
it took me several years, but I dove into NASA documents. I started ordering uh, books on the official version. And to my surprise, actually, I found out that most of my information, um, intriguing information, actually came from official sources. It came from the official narrative. And that's what's really fascinating about this journey is that the conspiracy books are good. The conspiracy videos are good. But they don't get into the details as much as they should. And I say to people, and you know, you know, the old saying, the devil is in the details. And when you actually dive into the, the official narrative and you read the manuals that are put out and you read books that are put out by people who support and promote the Apollo missions, that's where you find the smoking gun. Right. And so what, what were these specific things? Because you're going through official NASA, uh, you know, I imagine reports, documents at that point. Yeah. So what were the things once you started going through them where you started to kind of. So there's there's a million things that we could talk about here. And and to say what was the one thing is very difficult to do. But what I can do is, is I can tell you what I focused on. And for me. I started with the uh, Saturn V rocket and, and, and more specifically the F1 engines within the Saturn V rocket. Now, the F1 engines, is, uh, it's got a bit of a history. It's a very interesting history. The F1 engines, this, to this day, are still um, talked about as the most powerful um, liquid-fueled engines ever made. They work perfectly during the Apollo missions, and after that have never been used again. And when I looked deeper into the um, subject of the F1 engines, and without the F1 engines, and I want to emphasize this, without the F1 engines, you would have had no Apollo moon landings because the F1 engines needed to produce the power in order to launch the 46-ton payload into orbit, right? And that payload mm -hmm. includes the command module, the service module, the lunar module. You have to, you know, you need that kind of thrust to get that up into orbit. That's just to get it into orbit. Right. Right. And if, if they're not producing the F1 engines are not producing the power that is needed, if it's off slightly, it doesn't reach low Earth orbit and you cannot have an Apollo moon landing. So that's where my starting point was, the F1 engines. And what I found out is that a lot of the data was fraudulent um, over the years. Now, there's a. There's um, an individual who worked for Rocketdyne. Rocketdyne was the corporation that built the F-1 engines, and he worked for Rocketdyne between 1958 and 1963. Now, his name is Bill Casing. And a lot of listeners tonight um, um, hearing this will know exactly who I'm talking about. And Bill Casing has been very much maligned in the last several decades because he was the first one in 1977 to come out and write a book exposing the Apollo moon missions. Now, some of the things in that book he got wrong, but a, a, his basic premise was right. And I, and I believe it still holds up to this day. And he was he the very up. first person who, who cast some doubt on the entire thing. Yeah. I, I wouldn't say cast doubt. I think there was a few that did cast out, but he was the first one to publish a book on it. Okay. And his, his premises um, actually, as I mentioned earlier, he worked for Rocketdyne. And he was directly involved in cataloging the data output for the F-1 engines at that time. So Rocketdyne had hired him as a data analyst. And a lot of people call him a paper, uh, paper pusher, but he was actually qualified. I mean, why would Rocketdyne hire him to analyze data on experimental engines that they were working on at the time and if he wasn't qualified? Right. So obviously he was qualified. So his job was is to catalog the data um, that they were working on in terms of the F-1 engines, because by the time uh, 1960, 1961 rolled along, when you had John F. Kennedy announce the Apollo moon missions, 
they needed a rocket. They needed a powerful rocket engine in order to uh, make this mission successful. And that's when it switched over from um, a, a military purpose to the Apollo program. So the F-1 engines were now being designed specifically for the Apollo moon program. And that's where Bill Casing saw that the data he was looking at was altered when it was released to the public. Right. And so, but so they were altering, oh, when it was released to the public. So he kind of yeah. was seeing, and how is it being yeah. altered? Well, um, basically they were just changing the numbers to, to, to just uh, make the, make the math work to essentially. That, that, yeah. That it's working and that it's meeting expectations. That it's meeting its design specifications. Um, I, I have to put this into perspective. The average um, rocket engine back then produced about 200,000 pounds of thrust. Okay. okay? And um, most of the rockets, well, the Saturn, in the Saturn program, they used the H1 engines, which was produced 200 pounds of thrust in the uh, Saturn 1B. Now, the F1 engine, and it had, I think it had um, eight engines in the H1 uh, in the Saturn 1B rocket. Now, to put that into perspective, each rocket, as I said, each rocket engine produced about 200,000 pounds of thrust. The F1 engines was designed to produce 1.5 million pounds of thrust. Wow. That's a lot. That's a lot of power. And there was five engines um, designed into the Saturn V. So you had a total combined uh, 7.5 million pounds of thrust. You needed that amount of power, that thrust, to lift that hardware I mentioned earlier, that 46 tons of Apollo spacecraft. It was the output that um, Bill Casey noticed was being altered to fit the narrative, to promote the idea that the Apollo missions were real. And he resigned in 1963 in disgust. Right. And so w what had they been doing leading up to the Apollo missions um, in terms of like technologically that uh, like, like were they doing anything that was near uh, in well, terms of, you see, this is the thing. Um, this is the thing. And this is what's, what's really amazing. And, uh, you know, Bart Sabrill has talked a lot about this, too. The um, they basically, when Kennedy made that, uh, made that statement in 1961, I believe it was the United Nations or it was the American Congress, one or the other, um, they had a total of 15 minutes experience in the suborbital flight with one astronaut. That's just with one astronaut. Mm -hmm. And that was with the Mercury program. That was the Mercury. You had Mercury program, then you had the Gemini program, and then you had the Apollo program. You had three main manned missions in the 1960s. And they were all leading up to the Apollo program. So an answer to your question is, they just barely got started when they announced this, um, when they announced this Apollo uh, program. So they had eight years, eight years, to not only, um, they had to invent the technology, then they had to design it, and then they had to manufacture it, and then they had to test it all in right. eight years. And we're talking 13 launches that they supposedly launched between 1969 and 1975. The last two years, actually, the program, the Apollo program ended in 1972, but they launched, I think, uh, two more. Um, they launched the, the uh, Skylab space station after that, and then it was discontinued. It was never used again. And, and here's the interesting part about all of this is that Bill Casing noticed earlier how either information regarding the F1 engines was either being fraudulent or was just 
it was just written wrong. It was just, it was just blatantly, it was blatant lies. And now a lot of those documents have disappeared, especially when it comes to the F1 engines and the Saturn V rocket itself. A lot of the schematics have been destroyed. And you have to wonder, you know, you have to wonder, is that proof of the hoax? No, it's not proof. But when you look at that and you look at that and you build on the details, then it becomes obvious that something actually, something nefarious was going on here. Right. And what, and I mean, there's obviously the whole thing of why haven't they gone back? And, uh, you know, th there's, uh, I forget who, but there's someone who's like, we don't have the technology yeah. to do that. Right. And you're like, well, then what happened to it? There was the, yeah. uh, what was it? All the deleted reels. Like they, they just lost them all. Yeah. So that's very interesting. Cause I wrote a chapter about that in my book, my first book. And so for each mission, there was approximately 14,000 reels of telemetry tape. Now the telemetry tape has three very important pieces of information on it. It had the, of course, the live visual feed from the, from the uh, moon surface. Then it had the um, biomedical information. And then it had basic telemetry from the spacecraft itself. And that was uh, back then for people, you know, you have to realize that this was the tape age. There was no digital um, computers back then. It was all tape to it's tape, all tape yeah. right? analog so basically what happened is it would be recorded around to one reel and one reel contains about 15 minutes of information so multiply that one reel which is about the size of a car steering wheel by fourteen thousand, and that was what you had left over from the apollo 11 missions fourteen thousand reels of telemetry tapes well those are the tapes that you're talking about and yes they have disappeared and um, NASA has come out with all kinds of excuses. And basically, actually, they leave it up to their proponents to do that. And it's pretty comical sometimes. Um, they come out and say, well, you know, the tapes were uh, went, went missing. To, but while they had to, to tape over them because there was a tape shortage to every excuse you can think of. My investigation shows, and I wrote this in my book, that NASA took those tapes out of the archives and NASA destroyed them. And, and you think they're, just, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Not just, just to finish the point, not just the 14,000 reels of telemetry chase for Apollo 11, all of them. So we're talking over 140,000 reels of telemetry tapes have gone missing from the national archives related to all of the Apollo missions. Remember there were six of them that landed on the moon supposedly, and all of that data is gone. Every single one of it. And they say that it was either overwritten Due to just a resource shortage? Yeah. That's one so of the answers. I mean, you think they'd have unlimited that's actually resources. The most popular answer. Actually, the most popular answer I've had for the proponents is, is that, well, the um there was a tape shortage. And you know, it really, really boggles the mind when you think about it because we're talking about NASA here. We're talking about billions of dollars in resources. Right. You know, you would think that they could have a few extra dollars to buy a few more tapes. Um, so my investigation showed, and I, this is again in the book, and this is coming from NASA. This is what's really um, baffling. This is actually coming from NASA itself. If people just look at the details and read the details, NASA itself says those tapes, all of them, were signed out by NASA from the National Archives in the early 1970s. The tape shortage that they're talking about didn't happen until the early 1980s. And what's wow. more... All those tapes that were signed out, the Apollo telemetry tapes that were signed out, um, they broke protocol. They didn't follow procedure. They, NASA's written on the uh, written on the documents 
as the ones who signed it out, but there's no specific name. So there's no paper trail. Right. And they disappeared after that. And, and why so? Because it seems pretty sloppy. Like, yeah. I, I, is it just because they thought nobody would ever kind of poke around? Into well, this? you know what? I, I, I'm. I, I sort of, I mean, this is, I mean, that's kind of almost on par with the dog ate my homework. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, and, and I mean, there are reasons why are, are open to speculation, but my, my speculation is the one I really stand by the most is NASA had to get those tapes back from the archives. They had to, they had to destroy them because what if, and this actually happened. What if some intrepid scientist or documentary movie producer comes along and says, I want the tapes so as I can access the data to make a really good documentary for you to promote the anniversary. Well, what can you imagine the shock of listening back to those tapes and finding out that there's nothing on them? Right. Right? Yeah. And that that would be your proof. And that actually happened. Ron Howard, again, he um, decided he wanted to make um, the 40th anniversary, an anniversary of the uh, Apollo 11 mission, the first mission to land on the moon in, back in uh, 2009. So he contacted NASA and he said, I'd like to have the telemetry tapes because I'd like to access the live feed because he wanted to put it on IMAX, right? Yeah. So uh, great idea at the time until he was informed, well, um, we don't have the tapes. Well, they don't exist and we don't know where they are. And our investigation shows that they, ha they haven't turned up. So he had to resort to using old VHS video footage for his documentary. And people can look that up. That's all fact. Right. And so do you think that this, the entire thing was just um, a Cold War uh, necessity, <clears throat> essentially, by the United States government in order they just they needed to show that they had been to the moon? I think that's the impression they wanted to give, but that's not what they were worth. That's not what was going on behind the scenes. I'm, <clears throat> I'm convinced of that now. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Because it seems like they definitely um, had the motive in terms of the Cold War of wanting to compete with the Russians to just, and, you know, everybody, everybody's saying, you know, it's, it was filmed in a soundstage or whatever. Uh, they definitely had the, the incentive to do that. that. That's clear, I think. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that's one level. Uh, I mean, yeah. there are many levels of this, and and that's that's kind of like, um, and I'm basically not putting people down because I thought that myself too. But that's basically a two dimensional approach to it. I believe now, from all the research that I've done, that the Russians knew damn well that these missions were faked back in 1969. They knew where they were going to fake it before they even launched Apollo 11. And I I believe that there is some evidence, I actually more than circumstantial evidence, that the Russians not only knew about this but that the Americans and the Russians were working very closely together on it. To the Russians and the Americans were working together to fake the moon landing. Not so much to fake the moon landing. The Russians knew about it. Okay. So the Russians, the Russians got in on this and they, they, they knew what was going on. I mean, these are not stupid people. They had right. some very brilliant scientists and they were further ahead in their manned space program. Every category you look at in the 1960s, from their from all their uh, manned launches, they were the first to put a um, um, an astronaut in orbit, a full orbit. I mean, a full low Earth orbit. They were yep. the first to put two astronauts in orbit. Orbit. They were the first to put a woman in orbit. They were the first to put three astronauts in orbit, and they were the first to actually have two spaceships in orbit and and rendezvous and dock. I mean, they were first in everything they did. They were number one. 
Right. So then, but why? somehow the Americans came back. Yeah. Just shot ahead from a suborbital flight in, in 1961 and landed a man on the moon in 1969. And when you think about the technological leap that that takes, the technological leap that that would involve. Um, anybody who sits back, just look at how technology works. Technology doesn't work like that. It's a progression. It's layered on top of each other. Just like we see with aviation, we see with ships and aviation, right? You just don't fly across the ocean in a jet. You've got to get there first. So you got there with the, uh, what, one single-engine airplane, single-engine prop, and then we build from that. Yeah. And then, of course, there's no documents for that left because we don't need those documents because we've already built on that technology. Unlike the Apollo moon missions, it's not just the um, documents for the Saturn V and the F-1 engines that have disappeared. Um, Grumman, who made the uh, corporation, who made Lunar Module, and United American, who made the, uh, the uh, if I got that correctly, the corporation might have that wrong. But nonetheless, the corporations that made the uh, manufacture these spacecraft have basically destroyed their own schematics. Right. And so just going back to this Russia US kind of alliance, yeah. I guess. So if you're saying that they knew about it, what was to what end? What was the purpose of that? Cuz cuz weren't yeah. they you know, the idea is that they were enemies at the time. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But you're saying they were actually working together. So I guess why? Well, I wouldn't say they're the best of friends, okay? So I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that they um that they're you know buddies behind the scenes what i'm saying is is that they both understood they both understood the reality they both play their people all right okay we were being played the russian people were being played it's a form of control and i think you alluded to that earlier when you asked me what was the reason you gave a reason and i would have to say that that's one of the primary reasons because it creates um an illusion and it creates um you know um a form of control and manipulation and it's just one part of a whole the apollo missions itself doesn't stand alone in this you have to layer in many other factors and it, it takes quite a while to go through all this but i do believe that um the russians knew but in fact a lot of people don't realize this but uh when the apollo 13 splashed down and that was the one i mentioned earlier that had the uh so-called accident mm-hmm to this day, there are two Apollo, two Apollo 13 capsules on display. The question is, where did the other one come from? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what happened is, and this is all fact. This is, again, a speculation. Um, there are actual media reports of the Soviet Union at that time handing over what they call a boilerplate command module to the Americans on a Coast Guard. There's actual footage of this. Um, US, uh, USA Stripes, that uh, military magazine, was posting uh, articles about this. The Russians had picked up a command module in the North Atlantic Ocean and brought it back to their uh, one of their uh, military bases in the Soviet Union called Mansk. I think it was the city of Mansk. And they went through a big ceremony of handing that back. But so the question is, where did that command module come from? Well, a boilerplate means that it's a dummy, um, a dummy command module. What they use is they, when they don't want to launch an actual command module and they're just testing a rocket, they put a dummy on top. Yeah. Right. So how is it that there's no record of a, a missing boilerplate command module? There's no record of that. The only record we have is the Apollo 13 splashdown. But yet the Russians on the very next day after the Apollo 13 launch picked up a command module boilerplate that's used for training how did it get into the how did it get in close proximity to their uh territorial waters that's the question and NASA what do you think it was just placed there? there 
It was just dropped off. For, like or, it was dropped off for just like this uh, kind of photo op, essentially. Or did the Apollo thirteen launch fail, and was that? Um, oh, and th- and that's that's know? another option. Okay, so yeah. I, I have one more question before we're going to open the uh, phone lines very shortly because I'm yeah. sure a lot of people have some questions for you. Um, so when you go back to this whole. Uh, you're alluding to this kind of they were doing this for elements of uh, control, I guess. I'm curious kind of if you can maybe elaborate, expand on that a little bit. Just, I'm interested what you th- what your thoughts are about that. So because I think that, saying, yeah, yeah, because yeah. I, I never actually heard th- that kind of point. Uh, yeah. So anyways, go ahead. Well, first of all, it's very difficult to prove what I'm saying. But second of all, you have to look, when you look at all the details, you sort of get into that situation. Well, why would they be doing this? What is the whole point? Is this, is this more psychological operation? Is this a psyops on both our peoples here in North America, uh, the Soviet Union at the time, and the rest of the world? And it's very interesting to note that, that uh, President Kennedy, um, months before he was assassinated, had ordered um, the director of NASA at that time, James Webb, to meet with his counter Russian counterpart in their space program and work out a possible agreement. Remember, it was Kennedy that launched this in 1961, and there's now evidence coming out that Kennedy was actually going to cancel the Apollo moon program in favor of detente and working more closely with the Soviets, which they were working with anyway, but they were going to come out in public. And I think that kind of blow, that would have blown a lot. That would have been a major blow to the agenda in terms of control, because the only way to control people is to give them an enemy. And, yeah. you know, the Americans and the Americans are really good at that. And so are the Soviets, too. I'm not knocking America. I like America. But I'm just saying that, you know, give them an enemy. Give them somebody to hate. It's a form of control. Hey, we went to the moon. We landed there. It's all about hubris, right? right. We landed there. We're great. We're number one. And we're proud. And, 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 and it just is a domino effect from that point on. Right. Okay, we, we got a call. Uh, one moment, please. <clears throat> Hello. Thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Oh, Who am I speaking here? with? Uh, just me, hey, bro. What's, hey, what's up? One moment while I patch you through. All right, go ahead. You're on with Randy. Hey, what's going on, Randy? Uh, first off, um, are uh, are you a globalist or are you a flat card? We had we had a no. I think he's referring to. I would assume that uh, we we had a um, maybe six months ago or a year ago. We had a, a flat Earth guy on just to just yeah yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's more of a joke because he said it is the funniest thing is he called all people who believe in spherical Earth, I guess, globalists. <laughs> okay, he's still there. Is he gone? I just thought that was funny. Uh no, his well, no, his name's uh, his name's Flat Earth Dave. He's uh, no, th- this isn't the guy who's calling in. That's uh, someone okay. else. But anyways, uh, go go ahead, All caller. Right. Uh, yeah. So what is it? Uh, like I have a background in geology and stuff, and uh, also I did want to bring up the uh, Soviet stuff. But what is it? Uh, the first thing with the Soviets, uh, you're familiar with the uh, lost cosmonaut theory, conspiracy theory. I don't think it's really much of a conspiracy theory, but like the whole thing that like Yuri Gagarin was not the first human in space, but he was the first human to return from space. Like the Soviet Union, like they sent up like maybe like one to three confirmed cosmonauts who didn't make it back to Earth, but they, you know, refuted the news. Are you familiar with this conspiracy theory by chance? 
Uh, vaguely, yes. I didn't really pay much attention to it, but there's been a lot of, well, on both sides, a lot of misinformation and disinformation. So you got to be careful. You got to pick and choose what you want to go with. But go ahead. Well, yeah. So with the Soviet Union, first off, it's like it has been well known, especially with the that you know little uh, mistake that happened in Chernobyl. Like, you know, Soviet Union covers up all failures. They're like, no, we can only display the best of our abilities. But um, my, what is it? I mean, that's just one thing you were talking about, like associating with cosmonauts and uh, um, astronauts. But my thing is, um, what do you know about the lunar samples? Because as a geologist, what is it? Uh, I've done things like hyperspectral analysis of like mineral samples, and like it, it works like 100% of the time, where it's like you can like identify rocks as you know what it is by hyperspectral analysis, like it gives you a spectral response based on like light bouncing back from like a, like a rock material you hold in your hand. But why isn't there any of that done on the lunar samples? And also I wouldn't trust that they would do it themselves. Like I would have to have them go to the factory that makes the hyperspectral analysis machines. Like, yeah. Wasn't there the thing, thing too? I don't wasn't believe it. I, well, I was just gonna say, wasn't there the thing with the moon rock where it was like petrified wood or something that they had it at a? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the one of the things I got stolen or whatever the fuck it was. It was like, yeah, dude, this is earth material, and like it's impossible that you'd find this. Yeah, like on the moon. Yeah. Go ahead. Because there's so like ahead. different theories on how. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Randy. So let's start with the let's start with a couple of things here first. Um. um so there's, again, a lot of misinformation and disinformation when it comes to this. First of all, I have read, I'll give you an example. I'm not a geologist. But I'm just going by what I've read. And from people I have talked to who have a lot more experience in the, and are qualified, a lot more experience in this. Um, we know that a year before the launch of Apollo 11, that Werner von Braun and a whole crew of his entourage had flown down to the South Pole and they were gathering samples of moon rock. And so we know that, and we know that for a fact, right? And they, they actually gathered, I think it was several hundred pounds, and they brought it back. And the question is, why were they doing that? And there's never been a real, you know, were they doing that, what, to, 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 to test, the, uh, to see what it's like to actually test the moon rock? Well, couldn't they just wait till they get moon rock from the, from the moon? So they had done that. Second of all, um, I have read instance where, NASA will say that there's no water droplets or no moisture at any content at all in moon rock samples. Yet then I've read from their own narrative that they have found water samples, and this is going back 40 years. So there's, again, a lot of you know, back and forth misinformation. And the other question is, and this is the one I really like to um, focus on a lot, is, okay, so they say they, brought, they have brought back an estimated, I think it was 800 pounds total of moon rock between all the six missions. So that works out to 140 pounds per mission. And not every mission was 140 pounds of moon rock. It was, some was 50 and some was 200. But how did they get them back into Earth's atmosphere? Because you're adding a lot of weight to the command module. And that's the angle that I like to go. And I, have never, I haven't found a reasonable answer. You don't have, um, when, you're, when you're entering, re-entering the atmosphere, you're getting into some, some serious forces. And that's when weight and balance becomes a, uh, an issue, more so on reentry. 
And if those that added weight that they picked up from the moon, let's say they picked up 75, 80 pounds of moon rock, is not properly distri uh, distributed within the spacecraft, that is, spacecraft comes in angled incorrectly and will burn up and kill the crew instantly. So that's kind of the angle I was looking at that. Uh, I leave the, mm -hmm. the um, geology um, aspect of this up to the people who are qualified to, to look into this. And uh, Jared White is one example. Um, he's done some very good work on this. But that's kind of the angle where I came from. It's just that I, I, it's, it's easy to say, well, you know, they brought back several hundred pounds of moon rock. First of all, nobody's ever seen a photo of that. And second of all, to your other question um, you brought up, um, I, I too do, wouldn't trust NASA to uh, investigate itself when it comes to the moon rock. But NASA is very careful about who inspects those moon rocks. Those moon rocks, uh, people who inspect those moon rocks, they have to be people, scientists that are very heavily screened by NASA. They need to be working for established uh, institutions or corporations that directly or indirectly get their funding from government. So you're not going to get an astronaut, you're not going to get a, sorry, rather a scientist or a geologist rather, um, who is outside of that frame, who is independent, you're not going to get any of them um, asked to test the samples that they have um, in NASA locked up right now. And one more oh, point okay. I'd like to make is... Go ahead, Randy. Yeah, one more point I'd like to make is that there's also a lot of um, moon rock that has gone missing. So those, those are a few of the points that I... But So, I so there's moon rock that's sure. gone missing from the 800 pounds, but there's no photos of what they even have? Is that I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. And if there is, I haven't seen it, but that's what I... And there's I, no museum or anything, because I heard you... I mentioned There, there different... is. The, Sorry, in, go the ahead. Cape Canaveral, in, in the Cape Canaveral Museum, they have like a little... Uh, it's either the Cape Canaveral Museum or the National Aviation Space Museum in D.C. They have yeah. like a little... Uh, a little podium with like a little piece of rock underneath the yeah. glass, and they're like you can stick your hand in and touch it. Like it looks like the fakest stuff ever, but yeah, yeah, I've been there. I've it, been there, and it's it's uh, yeah. And how do you know it's a moon rock, right? Yeah, and then uh, lastly, before I hang up, uh, I just want to get your opinion on this. I've asked Danny this before. Uh, since there has been recent news in uh, the development of lunar exploration, um. How can you just how can it be justified that the nation of India landed some sort of robot on the moon yet they don't have indoor plumbing? Like I was sitting like, <laughs> well, yeah, no, this is legit. I mean, they question. they do like, mostly have indoor plumbing, but I mean more importantly, Japan uh, just did it like a week ago or something, or two I, days ago. Yeah. Right? I've and been to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but I'm saying J Japan yeah. just, just posted where like there, they tried to land on the moon this like um, uh, rover thing or whatever, which is unmanned, and it landed like upside. They weren't even able to land it normally, upside down. Like the moon yeah. seems like the only thing where the technology goes backwards. Yeah, and and according to NASA, it's the only thing they do right. Um, you know, so uh, I mean, it's just it's just absolutely you're right. It's absolutely backwards. Just the point you made about India, I'd like to clarify. I've been to yes. India um, several times. And India is a very interesting society in that it has very advanced technology, very comparable to what we have. And then they have the extreme, the, right. the poverty. It's, so it's, 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 it's really more of like a caste. Yeah. And they, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know that. Yeah. But they, have, they do have technological capabilities. I don't believe that they're, um, everything that has been said about them in terms of landing 
uh, an unmanned probe on the moon. Um, I believe the first one actually crashed and then they miraculously got the second one right. Um, I think this because they were given erroneously the wrong data um, by, I don't know, it was outside forces, maybe NASA. The other thing I want to add to this point is, is that NASA has um, an agreement and they're pretty forceful about it with all nations that have um, space technology capabilities or launch capabilities, which is not many, which should be. I mean, if this technology was you know, 50 years, do you think there'd be a lot more nations that have that capability? At this point, no yeah. one's allowed, yeah. But nobody is allowed to launch and land anything anywhere near the Apollo landing sites on the moon. That is off limits to everyone. And what is the penalty in is just that you're up against the might of the United States government? Well, you know what? When you talk about um, the United States government, yes. I mean, it's not so much the United States government. I mean, the United States, it's, the people, the United, the American people are, 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 are peaceful people. Uh, you know, I don't think anybody has a problem with them. Not the it's last the United States. Yeah, well, well okay. <laughs> you know, everybody has this opinion. Um, yeah. The United States government, it's, you know, when you have a central bank, central bank is very powerful and it has tentacles that reach around the world and they control other central banks. That's the whole idea of a central bank. The central bank system gives, I call them a cabal, a world cabal. They control, they control everything. I mean, can, it's a foreign entity. And so, that and that's one it. of the things that they're enforcing. Essentially, you cannot land uh, yeah. on the moon without our permission. Okay. We got another call. One moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling low value mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey, Danny, it is the Goob. The Goob. I've been waiting to hear from you. Uh, one moment, please, while we patch you through to Randy. All right, Goob, you're on with Randy. Go ahead. Hey, Randy. So just to clarify, it's strictly the moon landing that you deny you acknowledge other space travel or no? Yeah, yeah I think that uh, they have, they've shown some good capabilities in terms of manned missions to low Earth orbit. Yeah. Okay. So, um, given that we are going to space and you know, NASA lies. And like you said, they do so quite blatantly sometimes yeah. almost seemingly like they want to get caught. Uh, I suspect that the moon landing hoax is the psyop and that they want people to question the moon landing because they don't want people to question what they're actually doing in space. And we possibly have far greater capabilities. Do you put any weight into that idea? Yeah, I think it's a very good point. Uh, and, you know, it could very well be used as a distraction. Um, I wouldn't argue with you on that point. Um, unfortunately, they put us in that position. So in order to get at what they're really hiding, we kind of kind of prove this is fake and get this out of the way. But yeah, it's a good point. I, I agree. Yeah. And, and Goob, what, what, uh, like, what is your theory on, on what that might be? Because that, that is an interesting. Uh, I really, I really don't know. There is, uh, and I, I forget the name off the top of my head, but there is an amateur astronomer photographer who supposedly captured Im images of some very large, you know, spaceships pretty deep in space in our solar system. But, uh, other than that, I, I don't really have anything to go on besides the, the idea that, you know, this could be a psyop that they're trying to distract from, you know, what they're actually doing. But I don't know what that would be. Interesting. I believe I believe that they do have 
that the American government and the Russian government has technology that's far advanced than what we know of today. If by any chance I'm wrong and they went to the moon, I know one thing, they didn't go with technology that they claimed they used. So your point is well taken. Is there spaceships out there? I don't know. I, I don't discount anything these days, especially after the last four years. Anything is possible. I do believe that there's a controlling entity running this world, and it's not the people we see. Yeah. Um, I'm right there with you on that one. Yeah. 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 Right. Uh, well, that's all I had for you. Thank you for, for uh, thank entertaining you. me. Goob, everybody. All right. We got another call. One moment, please. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? This is Steve. Steve, one moment, please. We'll patch you through to Randy. And you are on with Randy. Go ahead, Steve. Hey, Randy. Uh, one of the you, Steve, can you speak up a little? Steve, can you speak up a little bit? It sounds like you're kind of a little distant. Yeah. Can you hear me? Perfect. Much better. Hello? Yes, very good. Go ahead. Uh, one of the claims about the moon landing is that there are too many people involved for it to be fake. So my question is, when we see the pictures of all the uh, people working at NASA in the headquarters and at the mission control, were they aware of what's going on or what was their role in in the in the fake uh, project? Yeah, that's a good question, because I always wonder how many people could they have done, you know, obviously for a conspiracy like this, because what's the, the total number of people who worked on it? 400,000 or something? Yeah. So to put that into perspective, it's an estimated 400,000 people were working directly or indirectly on the Apollo program. But we're talking about um, those 400,000 people dispersed across the United States. So in the East Coast, the West Coast. So you're talking about six main contractors and 20,000 subcontractors. So it's very easy um, to keep this um, classified or secret, if I can put it that way. So when somebody says, and you know, the, pre- the, the caller's not saying that, I'm just saying that yeah. if somebody says, well, I had 400,000 people keep secret, well, it's very easy. How do you think a corporation runs its own business? I mean, they have thousands of people working for them. Nobody knows what's going on in the upper echelons of power. Nobody right. knows what the real agenda is, right? So um, in, in terms of the, um, of, sorry, what was the second part of this question? I, I think he was just uh, well, saying, when, like, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, caller. Like on Apollo 13, the movie, they show all of the scientists sitting in mission control, watching the screen yeah, and uh, basically yeah. follow, following along, following along with the mission. Yeah. If the mission isn't real, what, what exactly are they doing? Yeah, so another good question. So I actually wrote about this in my third book, which is just coming out now. And I actually wrote it in fiction form because I actually teamed up with uh, another author, um, Robin Landry. And we decided she approached me a year ago about this project. And let's, you know, take all your knowledge and let's write it in fiction form. That way I can speculate a little further. So your question about mission controllers, well, mission controllers are on record. And this is actually on record. I don't specifically know who, but you can look that up. Are on record stating that they couldn't tell the difference between a simulated mission and an actual mission on their mission on their control consoles while they were in mission control. Because remember, they ran a lot of simulated missions as well. And I believe a lot of the all of the data that we see that's printed on paper. It didn't come from telemetry tapes. So it's obviously they, that's why they destroyed them. There was no data on them to uh, for that information to come from. 
I believe that those, those are all simulations. And so I just find that interesting. I think Gene Krantz, who was the um, director at the time for the Apollo 13 mission, I think he has said that, if I'm not mistaken. Don't quote me on that, but I believe he did say that uh, a lot of the mission controllers couldn't tell the difference between a simulation and an actual mission. I do believe there might be one mission that was real, and that was uh, Apollo 7. Apollo 7 was not a Saturn V launch. Apollo 7 was a, was a, um, a Saturn 1B launch, and it used the less powerful engines, and they, um, they only went as far as low Earth orbit. If there's any mission that is real, I would lean more towards that one. I'm not totally convinced it was real, but that would be the one I would hold out for. And they couldn't tell the difference between that mission and a simulated mission. So I actually write a lot about this in my third book. It's too much to go into, but I go through it step by step by step, how they were able to give mission controllers the illusion that they were actually watching a real mission in real time. So essentially the trial runs were essentially trial runs of basically they were just testing how they could essentially fool these people so that they could sure. essentially go through the, the regular. And how many, how many people are we talking about in this mission control? Because, you know, of the 400,000, I would imagine, what, 100 or something? So, yeah, not even that. I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe 20, maybe 30. I mean, also you have to keep in mind that um, it was people the people were specifically designated to communicate with the astronauts in each mission and 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 that designated person who was in command of of uh, in in within mission control who was in control and he would he, they would designate a person and the person who was in control for each of the missions was involved in one of the missions themselves so they kept this very knit close world where only a very few people in the know i would say probably if i was to, uh, an estimated figure at that time maybe 150 people knew the real agenda including the apollo astronauts of course um, because they were involved in directly involved and um, mission controllers themselves, most of them didn't, but then mission controllers do what they're told, right? They have something coming into their computer screens and they report to their supervisor and their supervisor reports to the designated person and he makes the decision um, as to what, where we go from there. So it was a very, very, very controlled environment in mission control at that time. And as I said, I expand about this. I expand on this more in my book where I can actually get into the details. And there's another thing to note too, um, NASA had launched an unmanned satellite before, um, I believe before each mission, and used that telemetry to the moon and back um, to, in part, to help um, proceed with the simulation. So they had actual data coming in. I think in, in a couple of cases, I think, if I'm not mistaken, some of it happened in real time. So you're giving, you know, you know, you're a mission controller. You don't know what's going on. You just only know what's going on on your computer screen and you right. report and you act And I mean, it's that. not like there was high definition video or anything like that. It's... Exactly. It was a lot easier to hide it back then. It wouldn't be that easy now, but it was a lot easier. You would back think then now it. it would be pretty impossible. Uh, uh, I think that's why these missions keep failing. You know, they keep saying they're going back. They just put Artemis, um, Artemis, the new Artemis launch which is basically the same design as the Apollo command module, only bigger. That was supposed to um, launch in 2024 this year. They've launched one mission. Then they launched another mission, unmanned, by the way, unmanned in the last couple of years. And they hi they hide, they're hiding the data. They won't release the radiation data. And what, what, why, are they, why are they hiding it? I mean, what's there to hide? I mean, you went there 50 years ago. 
what's why are you hiding the data now right, right. and now they postponed the mission till 2026 so i knew that was going to happen actually pre i predicted that myself a year ago those mission that mission will be canceled and they will uh, postpone it for a couple of years, which is exactly what they've done. And they postponed it to 2026. And it'll be canceled when we get there too. Whenever they get close, whenever they get close to uh, launching a manned mission to the moon, something happens and it's postponed for another year or two. And, and what, that's are the, the what are the reasons they give for them? Any reason. I mean, they didn't give a reason for this one. They just said, well, we have to postpone it. They didn't really give a, a, a reason. Uh, I mean, the reason is obvious. They don't have the technological capability or, right. they, or they don't have access to that technological capability. So I, I don't believe NASA is, um, I, I think it's a front. I, 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 your previous caller was right. I think it's a PSYOP, but the PSYOP is wearing thin now on people. And I think people are starting to actually get it. Yeah. Okay. Any, anything else, caller? No, that was great. Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah, this is because uh, I mean that. Like I said, this is the one thing where it's the only thing where the technology goes in the opposite direction, right? And you know, the, as much as people continue to try and say why, because I guess if they could just do it, then that would kind of just. Uh, you, you hear me there, uh, Randy? Yeah, sorry, oh, my sorry. battery is going low. So I just oh no, oh no here. problem. Yeah. yeah, I was just saying it's yeah. the only, it's the only psyop or not psyop. It's the only thing where they could just do it, and then uh, that would just be the end of it. I guess it would somewhat put it to bed at least if if they were to, able to do it. Now the the radiation is obviously the uh, is that like essentially the main reason why or one of the main reasons why they were unable to why it's just not able to be done. Oh, it's a big reason. I, I would put it up. I would put it number one. Um, I mean, it's a huge reason. I mean, you had uh, the, the, the radiation belts around the earth. For those of you who don't know, there's two main radiation belts around the earth that surround the earth. And they were named after um, a scientist by the name of Van Allen, James Van Allen, back in the late 1950s. He discovered those belts, when radiation belts, when they had launched on-man pros up there because they were getting ready for a mad mission. So they wanted to see, you know, they had some idea that there was some serious radiation up there and they had to know how to deal with it. So his exact, his basically almost his words were that he um, said, he said, oh my goodness, he says, we have some serious radiation to deal with up here. And that's about the only time he ever made a statement like that. After that, he fell in, fell, fell in line with the actual narrative that it was safe. The radiation Van Allen belts, um, the inner belt, which is uh, uh, proton dominated, is very severe. You can't send a man crew through that. You have to go through the outer region, the, belt, the outer belts, and then the outer region of the outer belts, which is elect uh, electron dominated radiation. NASA says that, oh, they went through it quickly. So there was no harm. But there's been a lot of uh, misinformation regarding that too, because I have discovered in my years of uh, research while writing my first book, that there's different um, different distances in terms of how far the radiation belts from Earth go out. Like some say it goes out 20,000 miles or some say it goes out 30,000 miles. You have to know exactly what the precise distance is if you're going to send a man crew through that because you have to know what kind of exposure they're going to be going through and what kind of shielding you need to add in order to attenuate that exposure. You're never going to get rid of radiation completely, but you can maybe sort of bring it down to an acceptable level. Um, but all the data that I have seen says absolutely 
uh, no way that they would be able to successfully send a manned mission through the radiation belts. And we're just talking about the Van Allen belts. Then you've got to deal with um, solar flares, um, coronal mass ejections. A coronal mass ejection from the sun, you get caught in one of those. We're talking, we're talking about a solar flare that is probably 150,000 miles maybe in diameter. Wow. And you know, you got a spacecraft, it has enough, a solo, a sea, um, coronal mass ejection has enough kinetic energy to boil the North Atlantic Ocean. You're telling me that that little capsule got caught when they're going to survive? No. And so NASA tells you, well, um, we, we just happened to be lucky when we went there and back because there was no solo flares. So that's their reasoning. I guess. And so what would someone who... I guess believes in the, in the moon landing. Uh, what would they say about the radiation element? Like, would they just say we got lucky? Is that yeah. is that the answer? Yeah, actually, it's a very interesting point you just brought up because I had uh, one of the books I had read uh, was by a scientist outside of NASA, but she worked for the uh, I think she works for National Oceanic Society or something like that. She was um, a very interesting uh, woman, and she basically said that. He said it was just by pure luck that they managed to get to New and back safely. Um, the uh, one of the um, I think I just forget his name, but he replaced Van Allen in in um, terms of the work and the study that they were doing on the radiation content of the uh, Van Allen belts. And he was asked the question, you know, is it safe to send manned missions through the Van Allen belts to the moon and back? And his response was, I thought was rather interesting and, and childish. And he says, well, it must be safe because we went there and back. That was his scientific analysis. That's, you know, um, it, to those of you out there, that sounds like the last four years, right? Safe and effective. Right. And... Um... What was like the because because uh, maybe it's ignorant of me, but what was the actual purpose of going to the moon at the time, just to see if they could do it? Yeah, because because I'm just wondering because yeah. you know you, yeah. then you're saying you're like everybody's getting put at risk here and they got lucky and you're and <clears throat> to be alive, and then you're just purely adventure. Well, it's interesting at the time because a lot of people didn't even believe it when it was happening, and it was only after the missions ended that. NASA psyops kicked into their, you know, propaganda program kicked into full gear, and then more people actually believed it. But their mission was exactly that. It's like, you know, why did you climb the mountain? Well, because it's there, and so we're going to the moon because it's there. There was no, at the time, there was no intrinsic value. I mean, you would think that if they went to the moon 50 years ago, they would have built on that technology. It had bases there, used as a launch site. To um, for other manned missions to other planets like Mars. I mean, it's very it's impractical to be launching from Earth. You can't do this. I mean, you can only go so high. That Saturn V was the largest, um, most powerful rocket ever built. If that thing had exploded on a launch pad, it would have been equivalent to about um, a kiloton, an atomic bomb, uh, about a kiloton atomic bomb. It would have been devastating. So there's only so much in terms of practicability that you can do to get a crew off the ground. You really... Actually, Vernon von Braun said it earlier in the 1950s that the best way to be launching um, from Earth would be to build a, a, a space orbit platform, right? Assemble the spacecraft in orbit and launch from there. So 
so the answer to your question is no, there was no practical reason to go to the moon. They never even really stated that. Right. Yeah, this whole thing is uh, very fascinating. By the way, the phone lines are open if anybody has any questions. One triple eight nine four nine two nine six nine. So, are you still finding out anything? Uh, like, does new stuff come out in, in your investigations into the stuff? Yeah, like, um, it leads into a direction now that is like in the first two books, I concentrated a lot on, and actually in the third book too, I concentrate a lot on the technological aspects of NASA, but I'm beginning to see now that, and, and this angers a lot of people when you bring this up, but it is a fact, there's an occult aspect to NASA as well. And well, I'm now, now starting to, yeah, now I'm, I'm really starting to look at that. And I've actually wrote a chapter in my second book, chapter one, um, where, um, it gets into the occult aspect connections to NASA. And um, can you elaborate and, on that any further? Sure. Um, there was a, a scientist back then in the 1930s, 1940s, and his name was Jack Parsons. And Jack Parsons um, is, is an amazing um, individual. Here was a man who at 18, 19, 20 years old, walked into Caltech, Caltech, that's California Institute of Technology, and to discuss rocket propulsion systems with a scientist there. Long story short, he ends up getting on becoming a staff, and he had no higher education. He had no education higher than grade 12, and yet he's responsible for um, any success that anybody thinks that NASA has today. Jack Parsons is responsible for that. What makes Jack Parsons even more interesting is that he spent half his time um, working on rockets and the other half involved in the cult. He was very involved with the um, uh, Alistair Crowley, who was the famous occultist in Britain. Yeah. And he was very involved with Ron L. Hubbard, who, of course, went on to develop um, Scientology, uh, started Scientology. Exactly. And for those of you out there know, it's a real big... <laughs> It's a, very influential when it comes to Hollywood. So Ron, um, so going back to Jack Parsons, he was very involved in that. And um, it turns out that a lot of scientists that were involved in the California Institute of Technology at that time were themselves involved in the occult. And it goes from there. Now, Jack Parsons was uh, killed in an accident, supposedly, in 1952. But his theories were carried on to um, his theories are actually because of his theories that it made the space shuttle successful. Um, that, that's how brilliant he was. Uh, the other thing is, is that a lot of the astronauts themselves, I think all of them, maybe except for one or two, were Freemasons. And that just seems to be a, a recurring theme when it comes to anything of that magnitude, when it comes to projects connected to any government. There seems to be always some kind of occult connection, Freemasons, uh, Skull and Bones, Illuminati, you name it. Um, it was very involved. And the symbology is there as well. So, I mean, if you look deeper into Apollo 11 with Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, um, Buzz Aldrin um, was, was, was uh, I think he was a 33rd degree Freemason. So at the same time, it's very interesting because James Webb, um, the director of NASA himself was a Freemason, and so was uh, President Lyndon Johnson at, at the uh, just after, just before uh, it was after the moon. He actually had, it was out of office by that time, but he himself was a 30 degree Freemason. So you have to ask yourself, what is this really all about? And when you get deeper into the cult aspect, uh, it's quite a rabbit hole. So 
Yeah. I'm looking more into that now, but it, it's it's quite interesting, and it just makes me wonder if that isn't really the as your previous caller was getting at earlier, if that maybe not be the real purpose here. Yeah, and I guess I mean maybe if you need uh, <clears throat> trustworthy people to keep secrets, some sort of secret society would be where you'd want to want to. Well, get actually. On. Exactly. So um, in my third book, my, my recent book, I actually talk about that. And there's a scene in there where, um, you know, he's wondering why everybody's so compliant because he's not part of the Freemasons himself. And you follow Freemasonry orders before you follow military orders, even though all the astronauts were military. And that's another interesting aspect of this is the military is in full control of the um, NASA Apollo program at the time and they were all military personnel that were involved in that including the astronauts but they were all freemasons and the answer to freemasonry first the military second interesting and what what uh where did you uh, like uh, i guess come across that information where they kind of or is that just the rules of freemasonry um, like how, how do you how do you know that i guess yeah I, I can well there's doctrines out there freemasonry do actually like to brag about what they are and who they are and what their rules are and you do have to um well it, it gets very uh it's very ritualistic you go through a, a very serious ritualistic program um i think a lot of your listeners right now would uh are aware of that and you swear an oath or it's death yeah. You swear an oath to them first. Interesting. And so are you of the uh, idea that just because I, I guess there's the theory that Stanley Kubrick uh, did, you know, from all the video that they uh, provided. <clears throat> is that kind of w w what you're thinking or like that was just made in some soundstage in California? Yeah. So um, there's there's a couple of places where this could be filled. And whether or not Stanley Kubrick himself was involved, he kind of... Um, alluded to that in the movie The Shining. And there's yeah. a lot of undertones in, in that movie. Jay Widener did some work on that. And he also talks his about final movie is all about the occult and then he died yeah. the day of the premiere. Well so so we're told. So we're told. Well, he died, he yeah. Yeah. Um whether he was directly involved or not, I don't know. But he had um he had one or two special effects um, um experts working with him at all times on his movies. And I believe that they were involved. Whether he was directly involved, I don't know. I think it would be too risky um, if he was seen there. He was seen meeting with officials, NASA officials, but he was never really seen directing, at least it hasn't been talked about, um, a, an actual uh, faking at the moon set, um, if I could put it that way. Um, but uh, I think his uh, special effects um, expert was definitely involved. So, yeah, I think there's some Stanley Kubrick influence. There's no doubt about that. I mean, you just have to look at at, at what he did with uh, Dr. Strangelove. But his technology, the thing about that movie is, is that he was denied access to a B-52. So he went and bought all these magazines and he actually built his own version of the B-52. And he's so accurate in depicting the B-52 in that movie with Peter Sellers, Dr. Strangelove, that he was basically approached by the military and given some um, interesting uh, technology in order to help him with his movies. And I think that was used on the Apollo missions. One of the things um, I do... So, oh, sorry, we, we got a call right here. Yep. Just hold that thought for yep. one moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey, what's up, Danny? Hey, one, who, who is this? Mike. Mike. One moment, please, Mike. All right, Mike, you're on with Randy. Go ahead. Hey, man. Um, 
So uh, I kind of tuned in late. I, I really hope you didn't talk about this already. Do you think the moon is like, was put there for um, any, are you into any of the Anunnaki or any of that kind of uh, lore? Um, I find that intriguing. And, and let me qualify my remarks here. Um, the last four years, I, I think I've been awake a lot for the last 20 years, but the last four years really opened my eyes a lot more. And I would discount that. Uh, whether the moon John, is, can you just uh, explain to people who don't know uh, specifically what that is? The Anunnaki, oh. me, or, uh, yeah, me or him? Uh, call, caller, right. caller, you can explain it. Uh, like the moon was put there to, um, like we're a civilization that was made by uh, an alien race, and like the moon was put there to control or kind of spy on us. It, it, it's kind of it's wacky. Yeah. Well. It's wacky, but what's happening right now? Um, <clears throat> we're coming out of a we're coming out of a very strange part of our history, and um, the juxtaposition of the Earth and our solar system to the uh, center of our galaxy is exposing us to more rays. And this is a theory, okay? And those rays are actually increasing awareness and rising and and raising consciousness, which is which explains what's been going on along the last couple of years. The moon is. In, by theory, and I'm just talking theory, is in theory part of that. Um, um, some people think it's a it's a gigantic spaceship um, that it does have life on it. There's some very strange activity that is going what, on what, the moon that hasn't been explained. I'm sorry, what do you think, though? I like, think it's. What, what's I think your it, greatest theory on the? I don't have. I don't think. I don't have a. Uh, I wouldn't say I have a viable theory on that. But what I will say is that what you brought up is intriguing. Yeah. The problem is, is to, to get um, proof one for more something that's question. so far away. Yeah, go ahead. Um, do you think the depth of the moon is um, is thin and like all those craters are um, uh, not deep enough to uh, to because the, the moon is hollow? Again, this is a wacky theory. Actually, it's not so wacky. I have read um, phys uh, physicists' accounts of the moon, and um, several of them have said that the moon is too large for, for it to be in the orbit it is in at its present time. So, yes. if, yeah, so that, that's, that's a, that sounds like a viable theory to me. Uh, second of all, um, those craters look too circular to be um, random hits. It's almost as if it's done on purpose for some other reason. I don't know if there's some... Uh, it, it looks like it's, it was actually done on purpose for maybe excavating. I mean, it just uh, 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 as as someone pointed out, when the meteorite when the meteoroid comes in, it comes in at an angle, and it would displace a lot of the debris forward in the direction of the uh, yeah, yeah where, one the direction or the other. It, exactly, but you don't see that on the moon surface. You see perfect circles. So what is that all um, about, Danny? If I may, one last question. Yes, yeah, go ahead. Um, the um, the um, ringing of the moon when they when they crashed things into the moon or when they landed things hard enough to uh um maintain a vibration over x amount of hours again i'm not um educated in the, the what do you what do you mean by ringing details, of the moon about that? Yeah, yeah so so there's like theories that like when they when they pounded um where they landed something hard enough that the moon would vibrate basically ringing like a, bell. A, a tone yes yes yeah, actually, um, 
You're right, uh, Danny. You just you just you just hit it. NASA's actually said that um, they have crashed many several of their own probes into the uh, lunar surface, and the exact um, the exact uh, wording was it rang like a bell. So uh, yeah. the Earth doesn't ring like a bell. So something else is going on there in the moon. So I wouldn't. I, I would say I could say this about the moon: what we were taught in history is wrong. It's just it's just false. That much. I Maybe a fourth book then. <laughs> it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Um, all right. Thanks, anything man. else, caller? Yeah. Take care, man. No. Appreciate it. Yeah, this is all. Uh, this is all wild stuff. Have you noticed as of recently? Because you've been on this. When did your first book? What year did your first book come out? Uh, two thousand eighteen. Two thousand eighteen. And but you've been kind yep. of interested in this for twenty years. Have you been noticing that? the kind of interest in, I guess, alternative theories here has been increasing because I'll yeah. say this, I've, I've said it before, but if you asked me 10 years ago, maybe even five, probably, probably not five, but probably 10 years ago. what my thought is, I'd be like hundred percent. They went to the moon. I'm like, there's no question. Like they, they did. And yeah. now I'm definitely, you know, nowhere near that. Right. Yeah. And I, I surely I can't be the only one. I mean, a lot of there's, you know, there's 200 people watching this live right now or more, maybe 300 people. Uh, and, you know, th thousands. I, I, I'm sure a lot of people think the same. But like, how, is this something you've uh, been noticing, I guess? Yeah. Yes, I have, actually. And again, um, a, a lot more so in the last 10 years, more specifically in the last four years. The last four years has had a profound effect on people and it's opened people's eyes a lot and made them more receptive to, to other ideas and to alternative history. And I have a book, I'm actually, it's a distant book, but it is a project I'm working on in terms of alternative history. Um, your, your previous caller mentioned the Anunnaki. I'm not going to get into that tonight, but there is some evidence now that it's not so much that they seeded the human race, but they may have interfered with the genetic aspect of the human race if that theory holds up and is true. And when you look at ancient texts, um, the Old Testament, the New Testament, I mean, how else can you describe what you read in those books as, if I mean, I mean you, you take a primitive individual back then, primitive by our standards, no insult to them. Um, we'll be primitive to by a thousand years and to other people's standards. But when you take an individual back then and he sees this object coming down from the sky, how else would he interpret it as God? So, yeah. um, you know, so, I mean, there's, there, this needs to be looked at. This needs to be, this needs serious, serious investigation. And one more point, um, Darwin's theory of evolution doesn't hold up. It, it, it holds up okay when it comes to mammals, but um, animals, but it doesn't seem to hold up very well when it comes to humans and even experts who pro who uh, promote the theory Darwin Darwin's theory of evolution will admit that there's gaps in terms of human evolution so that definitely has that's a that's a whole other book and a whole other subject yeah it's a whole and uh yeah yeah i mean it's still i still can't get over just the fact that it like you know you're saying the primitive thing and i you know i've already, I know I've already said this but just this is, seems to be literally the only technology that's gone backwards yeah and yeah and yeah. destroyed. And, and well, destroyed. again, I guess destroyed, assuming it ever even existed, right? That's well. Uh, it, it, I was reading a historian. I was expecting a call to come at me about this, but they haven't. So if they do, here's the answer. Um, uh, there's apparently thousands of microfilm that's been stored on the Saturn V rocket, but I documented this in my book. 
and my first book and is a space historian. And he's very pro-Apollo. He believes the missions happened, but he, he admits he went down and looked at this microfilm with the Saturn V rocket. And he said, there are huge gaps. There is no complete schematic of this, this technology that was built 50 years ago. It's gone. And I want to add one more thing. Yeah. Um, a famous astronaut, Dom Pettit, he was a he was uh, he flew in the shuttle once, and I think he was uh, on the uh, International Space Station twice. He's on record as saying that when he was asked would he go to the moon, he said he'd go to the moon in a nanosecond. But we've destroyed that technology, and it's a painful process to bring it back. That's quite a statement from a NASA astronaut, right? And again, I guess you have to just ask why. Like, why would they destroy it? Yeah, that just seems too much of a, of a crazy accident where they go, well, we just misplaced this well, technology. You know about the, that uh, yeah. Well, there's a, fun, there's a funny story about um, three Japanese businessmen, and this is actually true. Um, they wanted to commemorate, I think it was the 10th anniversary of the uh, first Apollo moon landing, Apollo 11. So they came over and they wanted to actually get the schematics for the lunar module. And they were going to build a replica of that lunar module. And they were going to bring it back to Japan and open up a museum and um, have uh, a commemoration, basically, in mm. a 10-year dedication to uh, the moon land. Well, so they went to the corporation and they had a meeting with the corporation who built the uh, lunar module, which was, at the time, Grumman. And embarrassingly, they had to tell them that, well, we don't have those schematics. They were destroyed. They had one box in the back room somewhere that had some sketches of what the lunar module was, but there was no schematics left. All of it was gone, destroyed. So they basically went back in empty-handed. But it was Um, amazing. Sorry, we just got another call. Just just put a pin in that one moment, please. Hello. Thanks for calling low-value mail. Who am I speaking? Oh, uh, we lost them. Okay, go. Uh, You there, Randy? Um, uh Uh-oh. Randy, can you hear me? I think it did something here. Can you hear me, Randy? No. I don't know what happened here. Hmm. That was not something I did. Can you hear me? No? You can't hear me, Randy? I, for some reason, we... The call failed. Hold on a second. I'm going to try... Let me see if we can uh, mute him and unmute him again, because for some reason, when I went to go pick up that call... Uh, hold on. Can you hear me there, Randy? going on here no you can't hear me i don't know um okay oh join with computer audio hello randy can you hear me yep oh sorry about that we had a little hiccup okay we got a call here uh hello hey danny it's format how are you doing format how's it going buddy uh one sec let me just transfer you over and format all right you're on with randy go ahead Awesome. Hey, Randy. Oh, nice to see you on the show. Uh, I'm just, uh, just learning about you today, but I will totally get into a lot more of your work because uh, you speak my language. So I had a, I had a question. I, well, two questions. The first one is about, um, I was wondering if you can just go over kind of like a laundry list of, uh, of Apollo goofs, if you know what I mean by goofs in the sense of like, like when you go to IMDb, say like on the the Matrix IMDb page, you can see goofs like where uh, at one point you know there's a there's like a microphone in the frame and things like that, right? So like clear goofs like that in the Apollo footage or just 
just think like like for example like i have a little list i'll give it to you and if you have something something similar it'll be great to hear right so for example i think um like the battery it would have fried there we know the exact battery they had and it would fry uh under direct sunlight you know the space suits wouldn't protect them from radiation the apollo craft wouldn't protect them from radiation Right, and then the, of course there's dogmatic scientists like Neil deGrasse Tyson who will say that you know they got around the Van Allen belt, uh, but there's no, they, no one ever, you know, the, uh, NASA never said they went around the Van Allen radiation belt. He's just making it up to fit his own, uh, you know, uh, beliefs. And then um, yeah, and then of course the telemetry data, you know, if they really did go around the the radiation belt, the telemetry data is missing, which. Their excuses for everything missing are just ridiculous. They said uh, they lo- they lost some of it and they rode over some of it, something like that, or just rode over all of it accidentally because they're fucking retarded. Yeah. Anyways, um, yeah, we we, co- we covered that a bit, um, but uh, yeah, I, I mean, is there is there anything he left out? There seems to be just so many things with this specifically. I could add one, a couple of things to his. Yeah, uh, yeah go, go ahead. Yeah, well, one sec, one uh, sec. Just, just before yeah. you, just before you give you a list, I had two things to f- finish off, and then and then you sure. give yours. Just so there's yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the moon dust. I think is a great one. Like uh, you know the moon. <laughs> they're like, okay, well, if you guys went there, well, let's see the moon dust. The moon dust had petrified trees in it, so it's not moon dust. It's fucking it's dust from Earth. Yeah, it was, it was right. Red, yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, shadows on the photo suggest nearby light sources. Um, there's a photo with the same background showing the moonlander there, and then a photo of the same exact background, but no moonlander, and the photo is labeled as some location like further away, right? That, that, yeah. that's, a, that's like one of the perfect goofs. Um, yeah, so, so, so more stuff like that. All right, thanks for Matt. Okay, so... Yeah, Randy, go ahead. Okay. So, uh, well, first of all, hello to Toronto. I actually noticed he's in Toronto. I moved there. I moved from there two years ago. So, uh, oh, during COVID? Very well. That, yeah. that was it for you? Yeah. Yeah, it was nuts. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Anyway, um, so there's a couple of things that are very interesting uh, regarding, oh, we went around the Van Allen belts. Now, it changes from every few years um, in terms of their track through the Van Allen belts. First, they said they couldn't go through the inner Van Allen belts, but then one mission at this day, well, they spent 15 minutes in it. And you can't spend 15 minutes in the inner Van Allen belt. The radiation is too intense. And then they said, well, we went through the outer regions of the Van Allen belts, but that doesn't even hold up either because their trajectories from the equator of the earth, of course, right? So, I mean, we're talking, and it just changes. And Van Allen himself said, the only way to go around the Van Allen belts is either launch from the North or South Pole. So we know that didn't happen. So that's all misinformation yeah. put up by Massa. They just like to muddy the waters. In terms of the photos, um, I've worked um, a lot and have a few done quite a few interviews with um, Marcus Allen. Marcus Allen is the uh, UK distributor for Nexus magazine. And he's been researching this for 25, 30 years. And he's done some very good work on the the photo and film record of the Apollo missions. And one of the things that he has pointed out, and I like to use this, and uh, he's really brilliant when it comes to analyzing this, um, is um, the second man on the moon was Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin was, uh, officially speaking, was the second man to set foot on the moon. There's a famous photo of him 
that was used on National Geographic. I wish I had it here. I don't, but you can look it up on Google. National Geographic. Now, when you look at the photo, is taken supposedly by Neil Armstrong. But there's a couple of things that are very obvious, even to the untrained eye. And I don't spend a lot of time in the photographic evidence because I'm just not, um, you know, qualified and have enough expertise to do that. But there's a thing, couple of things that stand out. And the first thing is, is that the cameras that were used to take photos on the moon were positioned here on their chest, right? Yeah. So, um, but, but when you look at the photo of Buzz Aldrin, it's almost as if the camera's at an angle from higher up. Yeah, I'm, I'm um, looking. This is from the cover of National Geographic. Exactly. Yeah. So it's on an angle looking down. Right. So that so there's a red flag there. The other one for me was, and I don't know if that's the version you have, but when you look at the background of the lunar surface, <clears throat> you notice that the light is very intense where Buzz Aldrin is standing, mm -hmm. and then it slowly starts to fall off, right? The yeah. distance you go behind him. Um, they've since touched that up because a lot of uh, people notice that. That's that that can't happen. There's only one source of light when they went to the moon, supposedly went to the moon, and that source of light is the sun. You and uh, they're giving uh, that whole area of light on the lunar surface should be uniform, there should be no falling off of light. It's like shining a flashlight at a tennis ball. You shine a flashlight at a tennis ball from a distance, and this is a crude example um, that the whole surface is lit. Like there's no falling off of light within the uh, tennis ball itself. The light falls off as it gets past the right. uh, tennis ball. And it's the same thing with the moon. So that should be all bright. And since then, NASA has brightened that surface, but you can still find old issues of National Geographic back in 1969 that has the original photo that NASA did publish to their, to their dismay, to, to their dismay, their mistake. It was one of those as your previous caller was talking about, those mishaps. And there's another one uh, where Alan Bean was uh, doing one of his uh, commemoration tours or whatever for his mission. I think he was on Apollo 12, if I'm not mistaken. And Bart Sabril had asked him a question. Um, Did you have any effects uh, going through the Van Allen belts? And he came back and said his answer was, well, I don't think we went out that far. And Bart Sabril said, well, you would have to go out that far and through them to get to the moon. And he said, oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, no, there wasn't any effects. So, you know, it's all kinds of um, yeah, very these weird interesting little... statements like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that, it's... It, it's slipping up, right? Right. There's just these, like, kind yeah. of, uh, yeah. 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 Any, anything else there? Uh, yeah. And, yeah, and the other thing also relating to the moon, I wanted to ask uh, sort of a similar question, uh, but, okay, so... I've I've been fascinated with the moon for a long time since you know finding out all kinds of weird things about it like uh, like uh, well for example you know uh, quotes from people I, I think it was Carl Sagan who said that you know the, the moon is like more likely to be an observational error it, it, was it Carl Sagan I think you would know. Uh, um, it, it, it's it, it, it could be because Carl Sagan had 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 two layers to him. One was the official, and one was was subtle, where he would say something official, mm -hmm. but then he'd give out a subtle message and sort of discounting, sort of contradicting what he had actually said. And I've read a lot of that. Um, mm -hmm. um, one other thing about the moon, I was just thinking about this when you were talking, um, mm -hmm. caller, is the um, there seems to be some very interesting uh, heat sources now developing on the lunar surface. Um, I think it's in the south 
um, eastern quadrant that faces the Earth. So some people yeah. have been noticing this, have been watching the moon a lot. So there's some some kind of activity going on there. I don't know if it's natural, uh, but there's no atmosphere. So I don't know what that source would be, but that's something to continue looking at. Huh. Okay. Well, uh, so let me ask the question then. So the question was basically like, I have a, I have a another like laundry list of weird things about the moon. Yeah, yeah. We, that, we gotta just. Uh, uh, I, I think it's, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, just try and yeah, make it quick. I, I think it's extensive, but. Okay. Okay. Yeah. If, if you know any others that I don't, let me know. So, uh, things like the transient lunar phenomena, incredible, you know, well-observed, um, you know, lights showing up all over the moon, suggesting maybe some kind of gas escaping the moon. You know, of course, uh, one of the previous scholars mentioned the moon was ringing after we crashed some satellites into it. We actually, we crashed two. We crashed a small one, then a bigger one. And both of them were giving us uh, some pretty good seismic readings that suggest that the moon could be hollow. Uh, then, uh, and uh, the, the strangeness of the distance of the moon from the earth compared to the sun, how it perfectly overlaps with the sun is a little sus. Uh, of course, if, if you're if you're really into science, you would uh, you, you would know how astronomically impossible it is for um, for a satellite of the size of the moon uh, to get into the orbit that it's in. It's practically impossible. Uh, you know uh, th things like that. So and of course, and I I think the. Uh, the transient lunar phenomena is very uh, is very interesting when you combine that with the idea that it that it's ringing. And I, I I don't know if there are other similar things like that that I'm not aware of. If you could let me know, I would. I'm fascinated with all that stuff. Yeah, those are very <clears throat> those are um, very very good points, and that has been pointed out by quite a few people now. And there's definitely something going on there. There's some activity um, that you mentioned. Um, did you did he mention trans uh yeah. translunar what was it he said there yeah uh, transient lunar transient. phenomenon is yeah, yeah. It's like it's the nasa catalog that they've been recording yeah. for like that they have a catalog of like 500 years of uh yeah. of uh, well-documented sightings of these uh lights on the moon yeah but there's also been a phenomenon too where you're looking at the moon and then it, it sort of um it distorts um, that has been actually uh, videoed as well, where there's a distortion and some there's some theory or some speculation that it's the moon is real, but that they're camouflaging it with, with technology to hide what's really going on there. So that, that, that's another theory that should be looked at as well. Huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and the other oh. thing, oh, th there's titanium in the soil or, or at least like aftermath of titanium, I think they found, right? Like some kind of elements that only occur if there was a bunch of titanium or titanium production or something like that. Yeah. So uh, and also I, I think it's also we, we should be careful that, you know, they, NASA has this uh, it's a tactic. They will put out a lot of stuff to throw you off from what's really out there. So they they love to muddy the water. So. But you're right. Right. Um, nothing about the moon can be discounted right now. It's, it's a whole different. Uh, it's a whole new field of science. Yeah. All Real right. science. Thanks for Matt. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Um. Yeah. This is. So uh, can can someone like Elon Musk or someone in the private sector can they send an unmanned uh, their own private thing to the moon if he wanted to? No, he does what he's told. But, he's and this is because man. of this is because of the NASA thing. Well, I think NASA does what it's told as well. I think it's it, that's how many layers there are to this. I just don't believe. I just don't take it at uh, face value anymore. Elon Musk. Um, uh, if you were to go with the official narrative, you'd need the might of the resources from the U.S. government in order to make this happen. Elon Musk will never, in my opinion, 
we'll get to the moon. Yeah, He'll yeah. come up with some reason as why he can. Low Earth orbit, yeah, doesn't seem to be a problem. Um, he moon. seems to have that capability, not the moon. The okay, moon is gonna... off limits. Okay, we, yeah. we got another call here. Hello, thanks for calling Low Value Mail. Who am I speaking with? Hey, it's Dylan from Wisconsin. Dylan from Wisconsin. <laughs> Dylan from Wisconsin, you're on with Randy. Go ahead. Hey, what's going on, Randy? Hello. Um, so previous caller was, and you were talking about visual distortions of the moon. I was wondering if you were familiar with, um, uh, it's called, the, they call it the lunar wave. It was, it's been documented by like a handful of, uh, amateur, like moon watchers, moon gazers, I guess I'll say. Yes, I am familiar with that. I've looked at that and, um, I haven't written about it and I probably won't because that's an area of expertise that's sort of. I'll leave that up to the others. What, what is that exactly? Into that. It's a wave. The, um, there's a wave that goes across the, uh, the, lun the uh, lunar surface. It appears like a wave. It's like a, like a wave in, in the ocean. Is it like light across. or is it like actually on the surface? Yeah, yeah, it's a distortion of light that seems to be just one strip going across. And it looks like a hologram. That's, that's why I was alluding to earlier that um, there's some speculation that there could be some very interesting exotic technology that's used to put a hologram shield in front of the moon to, to shield us or to shield them from what is really going on or to hide from us rather what is really going on in the lunar surface. Again, it's just speculation. It's a theory, but that's, that's one theory as to what that wave is about. It's, it's the hologram breaking down momentarily and then uh, resetting. Huh. Huh. Um, so that kind of like, do you think the moon could be a plasma then maybe kind of like that, that, there's that old video that floats around of that Professor Foster, and he's saying, like, oh, they'll never land on the moon. It's a plasma. Yeah, I mean, there's, again, many theories, but what's causing the gravitational pull against the Earth? I mean, there has to be some substance to that moon. So um, that, that, that satellite that's orbiting us, yeah. that natural satellite or not-so-natural satellite, um, and it does affect it does affect the ocean. So there is a pull on the Earth. So there's something there's something definitely viable there. Yeah. Okay. My wackiest theory. What do you think about the possibility that we may live on a crater inside of, or on the surface of the moon inside yeah, of a crater? On, Wait, yeah, we're like, on a crater inside of the moon? No, we're on a crater. Yeah. We're not. We're, the Earth is a crater. Not inside, oh. on the surface of a moon. Yeah. I'm sorry. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, on the, so it basically what he's saying is, and if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, caller, uh, I think what you're saying is, is that. Um, that what I have looked at is, and what I have come across is that we, the Earth, is basically our whole society is a crater on a much larger, gigantic planet. And what we see yes. when we look at the moon is a reflection of that. Yeah. So it kind of goes into a, a sort of up into a tangent, like a, a pyramid, and we're seeing the reflection of that uh, of of ourselves. That that's another theory. It's pretty Ooh. fascinating, but yeah, yeah. Well, there's, a, a, there's a lot of interesting that information one's out there. there. Yeah, that, that, yeah, yeah. I love, I love all that stuff, man. <laughs> yeah, crazy. yeah. What could be out there, dude? Man. All right. Well, thanks for the show. It's uh, been a pleasure listening to you, fellas. Appreciate Have it. Have a good Thank night. You. Thank so. you. Yeah, that one. Uh, I think maybe when we did the flat Earth episode, I'm not, uh, I'm not a, a flat Earther or anything, but I think maybe someone yeah called called and asked about uh, that one specifically. Um. All right, we're we're gonna wrap this up uh very shortly. So.
uh where can actually before we get into any plugs and stuff so is there anything else kind of i know there's one thing that you mentioned actually that i made a note earlier you said that they went to the south pole or antarctica to recover moon rock yeah can you i i wrote that down and then we got past it but i but i i was like it's sticking in my head can you just elaborate on the further so there's moon rock in the south pole yeah so um there is, again, theory that um, millions of years ago, when the moon supposedly was going through its upheaval as well as the Earth and the planets and the solar system, and there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of you know, uh, impacts on the surface, and the explosion um, from the surface would get caught in Earth's gravity and then would uh, fall towards the South Pole or North Pole. So that's the theory behind that. So um, Werner von Braun, who was the architect of the Saturn V rocket, remember Werner von Braun was brought to the uh, United States after World War II from Germany. Right. And a little paperclip. Right? Uh, yeah. And just a sidebar here, uh, Jack Parsons that's come out, the Jack Parsons and uh, Werner von Braun, had a relationship before World War II, during World War II, and after World War II. So they knew each other. So there's something else going on there too. So that's another show. But wow. um, So he, um, Werner von Braun, uh, gathered an entourage, and him and his entourage went down to the South Pole to gather all these moon rocks before, a year before, or several months rather, before the first Apollo moon landing, which was Apollo 11. So that's what that was about. Now, what he was doing that for is speculation, but to me, it would seem to fit the theory, which I think is a viable theory, that that's where their actual moon rocks came from, and that's what you see in their labs. And that's why NASA is very careful to screen who it is that analyzes those uh, rocks. Uh, you have to be basically part of the club in order to um, to be uh, allowed to analyze those rocks. They're not going to let anybody independent of any government or corporation do it for them. Okay, and I don't know if it's related because, uh, but because the flat earthers, the flat earth Dave, he had some whole thing about how you're legally not allowed to go to the South Pole. Yeah, he's right. Like, uh, I'm not into the flat earth. Theory I, I'm not into it either. Yeah, I'm just, yeah, I just noticed yeah. that one thing where. The, but he's the, right on that. He's yeah. right. It's the only, it's the only area in the world where all nations have agreed to a treaty that they had to restrict movements of average people going down to the South Pole. You can go to the North Pole all you like, but uh, the South Pole is off limits. It's very controlled. That tells you something else. They're hiding something down there. And that's where the moon rocks were. Yeah. Crazy. That's, uh, you know, obviously there might be some sort of coincidence. Uh, but regardless, that, that's uh, that's interesting. So is there anything else you, you kind of want to, uh, that maybe you didn't didn't get out that you wanted to discuss? Regarding the yeah, moon, I'm, sure, think, I'm sure you, you have lots of stuff. Uh, oh, we, we probably touched about maybe 5% of the research. There's a lot <laughs> well, of... Uh, well, what's a couple of things of that, that you can leave people with that you think might interest them before we uh, wrap this up? Well, I think that Neil Armstrong died 10 years ago supposedly in um and i believe i i i based my character in my book on neil armstrong okay and i really i really do believe that there was um that he wasn't living very well with 
this lie and that there might have been a possibility that he might have wanted to reveal it. There is a rumor that one astronaut was on his way to reveal it and died of a heart attack before he got to his destination. I don't know who that Apollo astronaut is, but I know Neil Armstrong, there's some questions about what happened to him while he was, he was in having heart surgery. It was supposed to be routine. He was in his early 80s, so it could be just that. Yeah. But there are some, there are some questions. Yeah, he was 82 so. years old. Yeah. So, because yeah. you say supposedly, but, his, but yeah, yeah, when you but say his, supposedly, you're not saying that he's still alive. No, 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 I'm not saying he's alive. I think he's oh. dead. I, I think that there's a possibility he might have been helped a little quicker. Right, right, right. That. Because cause that would seem like something if you're at the end of your life, that seems like something sometimes people kind of... Just want to get it off your uh, chest, you know? He's yeah. Like, you know, by his behavior in the last 40 years, last 50 years, actually, of all the astronauts, the Apollo astronauts, and I don't like a lot of them, but uh, I've always sort of felt a little bit for Neil Armstrong. He seemed to be the one that always stood out uh, he was quiet. He was a recluse. He only did like one or two interviews a year. And when he did them, they were very carefully choreographed and controlled. Yeah. Um, it was almost as if I have a theory about that in my new book. And it was almost as if he was, that was his only way out was to agree to some public appearances. But for the, for the most part, he, he really backed off. He resigned his commission after the Apollo missions were ended in 1972. And he went into basically, he became a university professor and basically in, in terms of public life became a recluse except for one or two appearances a year. Yeah. And, and what do you think the, um, like the effects would be essentially like the, if something were to come out that would pr essentially prove that they didn't go to the moon. Like, like well, what do you think the, the, you know, second order effects maybe? I think the, there's the actual, yeah, I think there's actual footage out there that shows them, um, the footage would actually show them faking the mission in real time uh, to fool mission control. And again, I get into this in my, my latest book. I, I do a fictional account of this. I believe there's actual footage of that. And I think that that will eventually come out. I think as we see the breakdown of the central banking system, um, there's not going to be the resources and money to pay people to keep the secrets. So I think you'll see them coming forward. People who are directly or indirectly now, I guess, because it's been 50 years involved in the Apollo program, will start coming forward. I've had received a few emails from people who were indirectly involved with companies that um, had some... Um, involvement in the Apollo program, and they said that um, from from the sources that they talked to, the whole thing was rigged from the very beginning. They knew it was fake. So, so I think people, that information is going to come out. So there's people alive right now who not only know that it was faked, but actually have evidence of it. Yeah. And do yeah. you think there's governments like uh like the, the United States government? Because it seems like if they're de destroying all this stuff, obviously they're destroying it because they don't they they needed us some sort of deniability well, as to why they couldn't do it. Well, isn't it interesting that um, five years ago, six years ago, Trump threw down a gauntlet with NASA and said, you have to 2024 to land another man on the moon, knowing that they weren't going to be able to do it. Right. Uh, you can read into that what, you, what, what people can read into that what they want, but it seems to me that he was throwing down the gauntlet with NASA. And I think he was, that was a form of disclosure, in my opinion, because we all predicted, I'm not the only one, we all predicted it was going to be pushed back, and that's exactly what happened, as we talked about earlier. And what's their so budget right now? NASA, see, this is the other thing. Uh, NASA, I believe, <clears throat> they were getting about 40, equivalent to 40 or $50 million a year during the Apollo program. 
my understanding is they're still getting half that $20 billion a year. And sorry, sorry, sorry. Not, you said million. They were getting 40 to 50 million? Bill, billion. billion. Dur- yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Billion today's during, in today's dollars yeah. during Apollo. Yeah. The, the, the Apollo missions on toll cost about $250 billion in today's value. Right. When you, uh, yeah, Which when is you even go, crazier uh, when you think that they spent all that money and then you go and you just threw out all the stuff. Well, the question is, what are they spending that money on? And that would right. be, for me, that's the, the real thing. And today, they're still getting $20 billion, $20 billion a year. So what are they doing with that money? How come they haven't put the resources back into their manned space program? They couldn't do. They couldn't do in what? Since they retired space shuttle, they still don't have a viable uh, spaceship of their own to low Earth orbit, let alone um, a ship to uh to the moon and back they're still relying on either elon musk or they're relying on the russian um space program to do it for them and within eight years they haven't been able to duplicate anything uh they can't duplicate one mission in in 10 years compared to the um 50 years later plus missions yeah yeah uh, years later yeah it's like on top of any exactly they can't duplicate anything they did in the last 50 years not they haven't even come close it's wild. It's uh, it's wild. Do you think there's some sort of like uh, kind of funny business where that money's going? Oh yeah. Uh, I, I mean, it, to me, it's obvious it's going to black ops, and it's it's maybe uh, there's a, another theory out there. I love these theories because it does get you thinking. Um, just keep your feet on the ground. Yeah. Uh, stay grounded. Um, that there's a breakaway civilization. So we don't know, you know, with technology that is far advanced. I mean, it's, it's no secret. The military has technology. We know of that's at least 30, 40 years ahead of what we have today. They already Mm -hmm. have this technology. Uh, Who knows what's beyond that? I think they have technology that's even far more, far more exotic than that. And as a theory that this money could be funneled into those projects for breakaway civilizations, uh, where those breakaway civilizations are, is anyone's guess. It could be on this planet. It could be off planet. It's another, book for another day right um okay that is uh that has been uh that's been a fun time i've uh, i've enjoyed this very much uh let people know where's the best place they can find you to keep up with all your work um you can um you can find me on facebook you can find me on my uh i have all the contact information is in my books for people who who are you can contact me at uh, at author randy walsh that's facebook okay or you can send me an email at author randy at hotmail.com that's randy author randy with two r's in the middle i'll, I'll so. put everything uh underneath too so if anybody sure. has yeah. any, anything yeah. and uh they, they can get a hold of you all right very yeah. good and, and you can i'll put the links for your books on amazon they're uh they're sound pretty well they uh yeah they're doing pretty i'm actually quite happy as an independent author my books just i don't know if i just made the right connections um because when i was know, searching I, got, I was searching for on amazon for for guests and yeah, I believe your book was the, in this category. It was like the top top book. Yeah, it, it's in, in it's done really well. So yeah. I've had publishing companies calling me. Uh, they want to, but you know, I'm not uh, no, no no fee up front, fellas. All right, if you right. believe in this book, then you know. And I have to be honest with you. This isn't. I'm not getting wealthy. This isn't about the money or something yeah, you said yeah, earlier. Not. I've got a passion for this. I just want to to truth out. If I didn't make any money on this, I could still do this. Right. Um. I just want. I'm just. I just I'm passionate about the truth and getting the truth out as best I can. I just want to make a contribution. Right. Um, okay. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining the show. Uh, don't forget tomorrow, new episode of the Bathhouse Live at 10:30 p.m. We will be back, 
And uh, as mentioned, you can catch, if you missed this live stream or you're catching it, it'll be up on Thursday afternoon or morning or whatever. Anyways, thank you very much, Randy Walsh. Thank you, everybody. Have a lovely evening.